Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Azure podcast with your host Sam Foote and Alan Armstrong. If you're new here, we're a pair of Azure and Office 365 focused IT security professionals. Each episode, we talk about a specific topic in the space. This week, it's episode three of season two. We're going to have a chat around Terraform, a product from the HashiCorp family of products. Terraform is arguably the market leader in IAC, or Infrastructure as Code, group of products. In this episode, it's my turn to be the subject matter expert, with Alan firing some great questions at me. So stick around to find out why you should be using Terraform in your organization and for your customers. Hey, Alan, it's amazing. We're on episode three of season of uh, the second season already. How is how t- how's time flying? It's insane, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. I think I was just thinking that what was our last season? It was like eight or nine episodes. We're already like a third, third, you know, starting a third through of them. Exactly. It feels like um, we've got things a lot more buttoned up this time, right? We've got our topics and um, we've got we've got plenty of things planned out uh, for, for the rest of the season. So it's like we're on top of it now, aren't we? Uh, it's a bit more serious. We're taking it a bit more <laughs> uh, yeah. serious now. Yeah, and it looks like we've got some time as well. And we managed to carve out the time out of family and, uh, and work life. Exactly. Definitely. Right. So, um, yeah, should we get started talking about Terraform? Yeah, sure. Okay. So... Straight off, what is infrastructure as code? Okay, so um, the traditional way that you may manage your cloud infrastructure may be to use, say, the Azure portal or any of the web portals from many of the major um, cloud providers. That's that's a great um, administration tool, right? It's easy, it's accessible, it's easy for people to understand. Um, almost anybody can use it as long as you've got the domain knowledge, obviously, um, of the platform. So it's a really accessible way um, to, to, to uh, bring up your infrastructure, configure it, and administer that infrastructure. Um, the, one of the downsides of that approach is that with so much flexibility can become some issues with control. Okay, so if you are, say, an owner, a contributor, owner, even a global admin, of your of your uh, so your tenant and your subscriptions, um, and you sort of have free reign to build whatever you want, whenever you want, and make any changes uh, at, at any time. There are ways to to limit people's ability with say RBAC, and uh, we'll do a whole episode I think on RBAC and and how that works in Azure and things like that. Um, but what infrastructure as code does is it sort of flips that on its head. We're still um, creating infrastructure, but instead of instead of um, configuring it via a web interface, we are writing it as literal code. Okay. So what we're doing is we are writing a, let's say we write a text file with a bunch of commands in it. And I'm massively simplifying it to, to so that people that have never even um, worked with infrastructure as code, essentially have a list of commands and you say, I would like a resource group. I would like two virtual machines, X, Y, and Z. Then what happens is, is you have an infrastructure as code tool. So in this, in this scenario, we're using Terraform. Um, Terraform will then take what you've written in that file and it will look at your, um, it will automatically look at your infrastructure that you've got in um, Azure, and it will then 
um, using Azure's APIs, it will automatically deploy those resources for you. So what we're doing is, is instead of allowing, and so, well, it's not about allowing, I suppose, that's probably not the right word to use. Instead of utilizing um, people to actually go and do the physical clicking and the phys, you know, the actual, the changing in the portals, we're letting that code and that tool completely handle all of that, um, the deployment and management of them. So um, infrastructure as code can deploy new to uh, new resources. It can also keep existing um, resources, uh, their configuration in a state that you want. And then also it can destroy um, resources um, automatically as well, if, if that's what you want. Okay. So I guess coming from, so if someone was coming from a development background, it kind of naturally probably feeds into how they, you know, how they see code, how they digest that sort of um, process, I guess, um, into you know, building their infrastructure for their applications, things like that, um, to help manage it in, in that sense. Yeah, so there are some, I'll call it basic programming concepts in um, in Terraform, which do allow you to do things like looping. And we're, we're going to, I'm guessing we will talk about that a little bit more in depth um, throughout this conversation. But you, yeah, if you if you do come from a development background, and I would also say like a scripting and sysadmin background yeah. as well, because it's uh, it says it's called code, but it's not really code. It's more configuration files, if if anything. Um, but but yes, if if you've got um, people in your organization that have coded before, have scripted before, um, Terraform is going to be pretty feel. Um, reasonably natural to those people okay so you know i would probably not naturally go to infrastructure as code because you know i've always used the the various portals and things like that um so why you sort of mentioned it but why would i want to change you know what what are the benefits i guess you've kind of said a few of them but there must be some others okay if we just completely negate any drawbacks for the moment and we just talk about benefits, I would say that the biggest benefit, um, the two biggest benefits are first control, control over your infrastructure and also your approval process for releasing uh, new infrastructure. So um, I'll give you the, I'll give you a very uh, high level uh, explanation of this. Right. So, um, what you could do is you can check in your Terraform code configuration into, say, uh, some sort of source control repository. So let's say Git. Um, then what you can do is with, say, Git's, well, not inbuilt Git's, the, the software that's around Git, um, the pull request and approval methodology, what you can do is then you can bring other people into the approval um, process there as well. Um, because if we if we have multiple people that can read Terraform, um, you almost don't need to see a visualization of what's going on. It's very descriptive. Like you can, you can understand what resources are being deployed just by, um, just by, just by going through it. Um, there's also um, Terraform plan, which tells you what's, what changes are going to be made. And what we're doing is we're, we're, we're utilizing a piece of software to make those changes. 
The idea being that we have reviewed the in uh, well, the code for that infrastructure. We've all agreed that those changes are uh, correct to be made. Then Terraform is going to do is going to then tell you what it is going to do. And what we're going to do is we're going to trust that that code is going to be more repeatable than a human. So, so you know, if we if we all agree on a topology, um, then we say, okay, um, Alan, go ahead and build that infrastructure for me, right? Um, which would be absolutely fine, and you could do that. Um, but let's say you missed a configuration, or you, you know, um, you left something. You left a configuration off, which was important to you know that wasn't noticed to start off with. You know, um, uh, as long as you've gone through that QA process internally and you have tested in a development environment, um, and let's talk let's talk in in a bit about collaboration and how that process works. But but essentially, you should be at the point where you've all just like a piece of software, you've all agreed in some sort of QA environment to to then. Um, go forward with releasing that um, into production, and hopefully, if you've if you've gone through all the correct steps, then that should be repeatable. So that takes me on to the next big benefit, which is disaster recovery. You've effectively got a low level design in code of your infrastructure that you've just rolled out. Let's say you needed to spin that up in a new environment, or you've got a product that you might um, maybe you've got a SaaS product that you might deploy into people's like um, uh, cloud environments. You've then got a repeatable snapshot of the infrastructure, and it can be just um, it can just be rolled out at any time. So we like to also use it as a disaster recovery tool because it's like another failsafe. You know, if you've got to rebuild complete from scratch, touch wood, that doesn't really happen, but if that was to happen when we're talking about our disaster recovery uh, scenario, it's much better to have all of that domain knowledge of the person that um, architected that solution in code so that you can just deploy it rapidly. You don't need that person to be there to, to redeploy it. Um, it's uh, So you're, you're kind of, you're taking that risk of, you know, we call it bus number, you know, that person's not available, they've moved on, you know, um, because chances are the infrastructure was brought up months or years ago, um, then there, there's a living document of, of what's been um, rolled out. Yeah, okay. So that's, <clears throat> if I built, say, and we we say, you know, Azure Virtual Desktop Environment, and I've done it all manually, and one of the regions goes out, and I, then, you know, I need to rebuild that in another region that's currently up, you know, manually, I'd have to go in and, make sure I've got my low level design document that I may or may not have created um, and re you know, rebuild it and hope for the best that I've remembered to do everything. What you're saying is that because we've deployed via the, the, you know, the script, the infrastructure as code that in effect, it's a rinse and repeat. I can spin up everything as is where it, you know, it's managed by that code or been deployed by that code that, you know, we could have it back up and running within minutes depending on how much you know resource and stuff's got to be rebuilt yeah exactly and um when we're talking about disaster recovery and high availability we should probably do episodes on both of those topics right yes. because um what can happen is is when you're talking about say high availability can be very expensive right and a lot of um a lot some business i won't say a lot because that's me being uh, making assumptions but 
some businesses won't want to spend um, the money on having a true, like, you know, live, live, hive availability strategy, like basically doubling your infrastructure. Yeah. Right. Some, some uh, apps and some businesses can tolerate X amount of hours or days worth of downtime, you know, whilst things get rebuilt right in that, in that scenario, the overhead that Terraform adds to the architecture process it does add overhead but if you ever are ever in a scenario where you don't have a live failover and you're going to quotes failover manually or you haven't even got a um like an uh, a standby hot you know customers come with all different types of requirements in terms of what they want you know and uh, you know it's not every customer is exactly the same so it really does depend on a case-by-case basis but if you ever think that you might need to bring it up again, it's going to be the quickest way to bring it up again, you know. Um, and having like the quotes LLD is quite important. The other thing that I haven't talked about, which I think I should just mention quickly now is, is Terraform will also do the diff between two sets of infrastructure with you. So if we think about infrastructure, it isn't really a thing that you you push infrastructure live and then it's just there, like it doesn't get changed. If you have new configuration to roll out, it will um, compute that change for you and manually uh, do that. So I'll give you a working example that we had this week where we were configuring AVD. We decided to move, I believe it was the host pools or something to a different resource group. Yep. And um, and if you did that manually, it would be a bit of a pain because you'd have to go in, unlink things, you know, make sure you've unlinked all the correct things, move them into the different resource groups, link everything back up. We we simply change the resource group name um, to the different resource group, and it computed that it needed to modify three things, destroy a few things because they needed to be moved, you know. And it, it computed all of that for us, didn't it? Um, so so also when you're in your um, when when you're when you're in development and you're deciding you're architecting your solution, it can help you to manipulate your development environment. Then when you're in production, if you're rolling out a new version of the infrastructure, it can really help compute that, that compute that difference for you to show so, what it's going to do. So we talk about differences. Can that work the other way? So not let's say that you've changed the code and then deploying new or additional. But what about if someone like myself went into the portal and changed a few things? Would it detect that change and want to correct it in, in some forms? Yeah. So um let's use a working example custom rdp properties on avd i think that's what we were doing this week so custom rdp yeah. properties right it's just a string that you attach um in the portal right um if if i've got if i say got a static set of rdp properties that i'm passing to like you know putting into the infrastructure and then you come into the portal and you edit it now companies can take varying levels of control here because you could basically <laughs> at one extreme you could basically say alan doesn't need access to the portal anymore <laughs> right you know and uh, yeah we, we, i don't think we ever live in that world like i haven't you know uh, i don't think anybody's taken it to that extreme but um alan goes in and updates the rdp properties because maybe you've got a friday afternoon reason to do it right and you you, you know you just need to get it like working um when i when i rerun my terraform plan it's going to try and correct that back, right? And I'm going to see that change. And it's going to then, and then I'm going to go, 
hmm, why is this changed, right? And throughout our QA process, we would then go, oh, it's been updated by Alan or it's been updated by somebody. We might not know who, but we could go in and, and find that out. Um, and then it would protect us from overwriting it. Um, but yes, Terraform is trying to maintain its you know version of infrastructure, definitely. Okay, so we, we didn't really talk about what Terraform was per se, but we started talking about infrastructure as code, and then we started mentioning Terraform. So is Terraform a, uh, I guess, a language, a platform that can be used to, to do that um, deployment, I guess, isn't it? And Yeah. Yeah, so Terraform, uh, Terraform is a piece of software. It's more than a piece of software. I'm going to call it a platform because it's not just a piece of software. Um, but um, the Terraform CLI is what you're working in to do those um, those those applications of those that, that code. Um, Terraform has its own um, configuration syntax um, that you would need to learn um, in order to use it. So it brings to get it brings its own. Um, uh, I'll call it a language structure, um, like configuration structure. Um, and then it, it gives you all of these things. Um, and then there are some other um, sides to it. Um, uh, there's also Terra, Terraform cloud services. Um, so when we talk about collaboration, I'll go into this in more depth, but essentially like a uh, secret management, variable management, um, configuration management, and state management, um, they all, all of those things need to be managed in infrastructure as code. And Terraform has um, a products around that to help you with those things because they are challenges um, when you're doing collaboration. Um, so yeah, so Terraform is just one of many infrastructure as code tools. Um, one of the uh, best parts of Terraform is it's it's cloud agnostic. Really, it's it's got varying connectors for different cloud providers. Um, you can mix and match. So if you do have infrastructure that is split across cloud providers, it can also help you manage that as well. So let's say you've got an application on AWS and you want to bring up some Azure specific um software like maybe maybe azure has got a specific sas or sas application that you want to to, to bring up or um it, yeah or you've got a requirement it can help you span across clouds so i think that's why um because the major cloud providers also have their own versions of infrastructure as code but they are very tailored down to their own needs and their own universes if if that makes sense um so what what is really good about Terraform is, is it's like you learn it once and then you can apply it to every major cloud um, that there is. Yeah, so you're talking around the ARM templates or or BICEP um, from an Azure perspective. I guess in AWS it might be cloud form trans cloud cloud formation cloud formation. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly, I don't know what yeah. the the Google version <laughs> is, but <laughs> um, but the yeah. And essentially, it's kind of doing the same thing as those things, but it's also got the context of everything else that's yeah. that's out there as well. Um, and it's it's yeah, it, it's a very big player in that space. There is a lot of people that use it, and it's so there's a lot of community around Terraform as well. So um, so it's quite 
easy to sell to people because there's so much community support and it's vendor neutral, which is quite good like for some people, right? Yeah. Because like we talk to some customers that don't want to be completely embedded in Microsoft's world. They don't want to be completely reliant on Microsoft, which I totally understand. Um, and, and, and the same for the other cloud providers. It's not, that's not Microsoft specific. You know, lots of people want to try and stay like cloud neutral, if, if that makes sense. So, you know, if you do have a workload, um, you know, you can, you would need a different configuration but you would be able to re-terraform it on another cloud provider using their tooling, if, if that makes sense. Okay, so uh, this is a question that I, I've been wondering, actually. Um, so if you had a Terraform project, are you saying that if you had, you know, like, like you were saying, multi-cloud deployment, in effect, you could have it all in that one project, you know, probably different configurations for each sort of cloud, but at least having it in one thing that you can then just you know, deploy and it will go, you know, it will span the clouds that you're, that's supported kind of thing. That's, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it can, um, you can, you can register, um, you register providers. So like um, Azure has a provider, AWS has a provider. And then as long as you've got them registered in your project, you can use any of those providers resources. You can even do it in the same files if you wanted to, oh, right? Okay. So yeah, you can intermix it and everything. I'm not <laughs> sure I'd ever do that, but I believe it's possible to just yeah have everything in one place. Um, so so yeah, so if you do have, because um, as well, it's probably good to uh, give you the context of as well is if you're de- if you're designing say a landing zone, um, it, it, you know your it's your Terraform projects are going to span more than just one area of your tech you know your stack it could be the whole of your you know you you could do the whole thing like pretty much everything um in azure so um uh, understanding that a number of projects and modules and i'm not going to go too much into depth because i want to keep try and keep it quite high level but i, I don't want to get dragged <laughs> into the weeds of it because um, i could talk about terraform for like three hours four hours i expect right but um yeah it's good to understand that essentially the majority of things that you can do in the portal you can do in terraform you know and that can be your new version of the portal you know you could read the code it's kind of like the matrix right instead of looking at like a web interface you could look at all this code like streaming down the screen um so yeah you can pretty much it's very flexible from from that perspective yeah well, i guess in that sense you know it's, it's an offline portal you don't need to have uh, exactly yeah. connectivity to be able to uh, work on it or um yeah see well, what, you know being configured yeah um, yeah exactly yeah okay so what about then if I've got um, I've got something that um, is almost like rinse and repeat? I need ten of them, and they're all they you know they're all named differently. They may have a slightly different configuration. You know, can I can I do I have to re- you know, repeat that code, or is there a way of you know um, trying to I don't know dynamically you know configure it or try to loop through it? I guess. Okay. Yeah. So. Um... What's great about Terraform is I don't know the official wording that I should use from. I would call it composable infrastructure, dynamic composable infrastructure, however you want to uh, think it. So, so yeah. So like um, you may have a requirement that let's say 
let's say you've got a managed service for your customers, right? And um, let's say you've got 10 customers. So it's cool. You've got your 10 customers. Then once the 11th customer comes along, maybe you want to add some infrastructure, you know, your side for that, you know, thing. And that, that isn't, that could be a managed, when I talk about managed service, it could be anything from, you know, a SaaS platform, you know, managed service, like, you know, and it could be anything, right? Um, what what we sometimes do with Terraform is we base our configuration, uh, well, our infrastructure on configuration. So what what we sometimes have to do is like um, say loop through infrastructure. So let's 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 use a, a really simple example. Uh, let's say you needed a resource group for every single one of your customers. Super simple to do, and actually in the portal that wouldn't be too onerous anyway, right? Um, but in Terraform, what you could do is you could create a, um, a a list of those. You wouldn't you wouldn't create a list. You create a map. But I'll just use the word list to make it simple in people's minds, right? Create a list of those customers: customer one, customer two, customer three, X, Y, and Z. And then what you can then do is you can then do a for each uh, loop through those customers, and you can say for each of these customers, create me a resource group. And I want that resource group named because the name would have to be different because we couldn't have ten resource groups of the same name um and then you can sort of um you know uh, as you're building those resource groups name them differently so those constructs are in there and from that perspective it is very much like coding because it's those simple control statements like you know ifs for loops you know and switches and, and things like that um that you can do there so yeah composable dynamic infrastructure it's probably got an official name i'm not 100 sure like what the, <laughs> the correct way of doing it but is but to have that dynamic flexibility is really 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 powerful because you know uh, we've talked about it from a disaster recovery um, standpoint and we probably should have talked about this at the start but yes if you do have a you know a, a, an infrastructure that is growing and shrinking as well like when a customer goes offline do you, you know, dependent on your policies, you should maybe remove all of their, you know, it might be that you have to remove all of their data from your systems, right? So Terraform could also help you to go and clean that up afterwards as well. So yeah, so um, yeah, definitely that is supported and another really powerful thing in terms of, you know, scaling um, infrastructure. Okay, so can can Terraform help you with naming conventions and things like that, you know, making sure that, you know, there's always, you know, I know in in you know in in the Azure world, you know, the the naming recommendations from Microsoft, um, you know, prefixes, things like that, or you know, even parts in it. You know, is there a way of making it simple for that to be, you know, almost rinse and repeated throughout, you know, the different resources, I guess, or resource types? Yeah. So, um, in the Azure world, we probably call it the cloud adoption framework, which is is a framework to help you. Um, migrate to the cloud and build your infrastructure um, in the correct way um, from the start, uh, it, you know, in Azure. And um, part of that might be that you define yourself a naming convention, which is usually the hardest thing in Azure, to be totally <laughs> honest with you, is the naming of things. You can never change um, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the joke is in computer science, that's the hardest thing, you know, just naming variables, naming things, right? So, um, yeah, so um, I'll give you an example. Um, with Azure, there's a... Um, I think it's a module that you bring in called the Cloud Adoption Framework Naming Module. And what you can do is you can say, for this resource, I need a name. And you tell it what type of resource it is. And you say, it's a resource group. 
you give it some other information that you might want to put in the name and it will generate you a name automatically. No typos. Nobody moaning about anything, right? Because it's named incorrectly because it follows like standard cloud adoption um, naming. You could create your own module for naming if you wanted to tweak it um, and X, Y, and Z. But yes, yeah, yeah. There, there, there are loads of, in, in the world, in Terraform's ecosystem, uh, there's lots. If you've sort of thought about it and you've got a problem with something, somebody's probably already been there and done it like <laughs> way ahead of you, right? So, um, so yes, but naming, like you say, that can sometimes be a, not a challenge, but just to, you know, how many times have you made a resource and named it incorrectly and had to delete it and start over again? You know, because once you've deployed everything, you've realized you've named it. And then most of the time, everyone's like, uh, it doesn't matter, but it will just bug you forever, you know, because it's not, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And never, then been there. Somebody, never been yeah, there. <laughs> and then if you notice somebody else has named something incorrectly, then, you know, you're just, you know, exactly. You're going to point it out every time you see it, right? So um, not you specifically, I mean, you know, the proverbial we, right? So no, um, I've been there. I've been there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, so yes, from that's a very basic benefit of, of Terraform, but yes, it can help you with your naming a hundred percent, Helen. Well, like you said, it might save some time of you trying to try to work out what you should call it. It's just done for you. <laughs> time is money. And uh, yeah, it's, it's important that, you know, fr- from my perspective, um, because I sort of sit on more of the infrastructure side, um, I'm really there to make sure that what, we, what, you know, the solutions that we've architected both internally and for our customers are built to the best practice possible, you know, we practice what we preach and we follow, you know, um, the, the quality standards that we've got internally. And I feel like Terraform's got my back with a lot of that <laughs> stuff, right? And I could be, because I come from a coding background and developers are lazy. That's the whole point of developers. They're there to automate everything, right? Like that's the brain that they've got to have. So for me, it's like, why would I click around the portal when I can just write a config file? right like that's that's the way my brain goes because i'm lazy so um so yes so it can definitely help with standardization uh, for sure okay so let's go on to collaboration we kind of mentioned it a little bit you know is it easy to collaborate with these with these projects you know and and the deployment part of it because you know these files could be sat in a in a OneDrive or something like that and someone could make changes you know i guess it could sit in a repo repository um but yeah what's you know can it you know can people collaborate with with that code and still deploy i guess i guess it's going to talk around the state side of things yeah so um okay so a quick primer on terraform like terraform 101 really quick right so you've got state which is what um, terraform computes of what it knows about your infrastructure so what it does is it goes and looks at Azure and it says, okay, how is everything configured, right? And, you know, if it's the first time you've deployed your, your infrastructure, there's nothing there. So it's all a brand new state. When you apply it and you, it actually does the deployment, it then locks that state into a file locally on your, mach- on your machine called a state file. Then when it comes to do the next version, so you 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 know you want to roll out your change. It looks at its local state to compute the difference, right? And that's how it then tracks. Um, so you've got state management. You've got secrets, credentials, and secrets. So like, let's say you're connecting with a service principal and a secret. You know, that's a really simple, um, you know, authorization mechanism. Um, so how do you how do you manage those secrets, especially in a shared environment, you know, in and all of those things? Um, 
And then you've got variables as well. So when you create a Terraform config, you can pass a number of variables to it. So you can say like, you know, what's the, um, if I'm creating a virtual network, what's my address space look like, let's say. And you could pass that in as a parameter, as a variable into your thing. So variable management, um, secret management and state management, when you're talking about two people interacting with each other or a team interacting with people, it's it can get kind of complicated. State management is relatively easy to do because, um, and, and a big thing to preface with this, you can just pay Terraform to take your problem away. They've got Terraform Cloud. You pay for Terraform Cloud and they will fix all these things for you because they are challenges. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, you can do that. Like there's And there's nothing really wrong with that. There's a free version. There's like a standard version, I think they call it. And then there's an enterprise, you know, if you want your SSO and everything else in between, right? So if you just want to out the box, go and do it, then talk to Terraform talk to Terraform, get yourself sorted out. Um, if you want to stay like on your provider, so for instance, state management can be states because they're just JSON files, can be stored in a storage account in Azure, right? And what that then means is anybody that then tries to run, to, to deploy that again, will be able to read that remote state. So it's not just on your computer, it's like on a, you know, a shared repository there. Um, and what then happens if you have remote state what's cool about that is is you do get that sharing so me and you can deploy whenever we want but the main benefit is is that let's say you have a project that let's say you've got your landing zone project which does all your networking and all your you know and everything else in between right let's say you need to reference infrastructure from that project if you had if you have shared state you can import that state into whatever project you're building and then use it. So if you're like, right, I want to connect my app to this virtual network, then you can pull the state from another project if you've got it in shared state. And I've whistled across that really quickly, but essentially what it means is, is it, it means that you don't have to have one big project. You can have multiple projects and reference state from all of those different projects in your new project that's come up online. A lot of infrastructure doesn't really need that because sometimes people are just deploying like, you know, a workload after workload after workload. But uh, sharing the state is important for deploying because without your state, you can't redeploy. It's horrible. If you lose your state, you've got to like, you don't have to start from scratch, but you might as well at that point, depending on what's stored there. Um, and then this being able to reference other states and other pieces of the infrastructure is also important from shared states. So that's great for collaboration. Um, and then secret management, we use environment variables and we, and we um, in our development environments, we all manage our own secrets and, and, for, for, and local state for development. Um, and then variable management as well, is it's a very similar thing. You know, th those configuration parameters that we're pushing to Terraform, we're managing those ourselves. Then when you take it into say, a deployment pipeline. So really best practice is to then use a DevOps, some sort of DevOps pipeline, GitHub Actions, um, Bitbuckets equivalent, Azure DevOps pipelines, whatever it is, right? Doesn't really matter. As long as it's, you know, some sort of operating system that can install Terraform, you can use it. It doesn't really matter. Um, so for instance, what we what we do, and I'll just, ex I'll just explain like our basic setup yeah, okay. is that, um, we have a Git repo with everything in it. 
um, and we have multiple branches. We have a, um, a developed branch, we have a staging branch, we have a production branch. Um, people will work on their own feature branches. They will then target develop, which is our first gate. Uh, develop will be pointed at, the infrastructure for develop will be pointed at one of our dev tenants. Um, we'll open a pull request from our feature branch to develop. The team will review that. And they'll say, yeah, we're happy with those changes. We'll usually involve the stakeholder with that as well um, and get them to, you know, we'll talk them through it. If they don't understand Terraform, we'll talk it through with them and, and, and explain what we're going to do. Then once we, once we accept that pull request, um, it will then land on develop and a pipeline will kick in. Um, so a DevOps pipeline will kick in and it will go, okay, I know I'm on develop and I know what that infrastructure should be. I'll do a Terraform deployment against that infrastructure and then what it'll do is it'll automatically deploy to develop it'll just overwrite it we'll then go and qa develop make sure we're happy with it and develop is really like it's nowhere near close to production it's you know it's like a sand pit environment like that is you know very developer well consultant developer orientated then we'll move it to staging so we'll open a pull request from develop to staging branch once that's approved so we're, you know, let's say we go back a few times on develop because somebody's screwed up somewhere, right? Because it happens all the time. That's how you know the world works. So we've got a QA process there. Then we go from develop to staging, where we where it's it's more like the actual infrastructure that it is in production. We try and keep it as close as possible, not in terms of data because we don't keep any um, you know, sensitive information in our staging environment so it's all fake data but it's very close topology wise like networks and and things like that um except for anything that's expensive because we don't like to run expensive things in our staging environments um and then we'll validate it there as well and we'll make sure we're happy with it and then once we're all happy with that we'll we'll open a pull request to the main branch um the master main whatever it's uh you've now called it um to the main branch and then that will then deploy into production and what we're hoping is is that by the time we get to the end of that feedback loop that we've ironed out all the niggles all of the technical people have been involved they've seen it actually be deployed and and go through we also have some other technology that helps us with documentation as well. So we might run that on it to see what's going on there. We won't go into that. That should probably be its own separate episode as well. Um, so we'll go through that process. And so so this isn't just somebody jumping into the portal and then configuring it and seeing if it works. It's actually like a process that we that we go through and a, a, a continuous process that we go back and forth on. Okay, so that's controlled testing at that point, isn't it, where... You know, if I was doing it through the portal on a on a dev or staging environment, I may do it one way that time and maybe forget in production and, and cause a you know an application issue or you know the service to go down kind of thing. So that is that's really good that you can you know almost you've done pretty much all testing you can possibly do, de-risked everything as possible. It could still go down. There may be some other thing missed, maybe, but at that point, I guess. There shouldn't what, be anything. What, what you usually don't, I, I in my experience, things don't usually go down because they get noticed very quickly, yeah. especially at the people going down. It's the nuances of what's not configured, right? You know, okay. it'll be, you know, it'll be two months down the line that you realise that you've allowed people to copy and paste to and from AVD because you accidentally missed that configuration. Yeah, you know, a, a really nuanced configuration, and maybe your compliance policies 
weren't enforcing that or you know weren't in depth with that that's the sort of thing that you're trying to you know you set your config once and then you you you're safe in the knowledge that terraform is going to have your back every time you want to deploy it right yeah. it's going to make sure it's it's correct every single time so yeah that's that's the sort of areas that i screw up on and i think a lot of you know and because we're all human right and i think that's what we've got to always go back to is that yes the portal and you know uh, azure or any cloud provider any software is really good at doing what you tell it to and doing it well and repeatable right so if you tell it it's always us telling it well, most the majority of the time it's us telling it the wrong thing to do right and that's what we're trying to avoid as much as we possibly can you know because because you know we we understand that humans are human like it's and it's it's not to say you know um x y and z consultant always makes mistakes and always forgets things right because sometimes you need to do things really quickly you know you might get a, like an urgent requirement that comes in out of hours and you just need to like get something done and move on yeah. and you might not even document that and then what might happen is is you know in the you know in the future you've got no so what you could do, do in that scenario is you could go in and make your you know your 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 changes and if you don't think it's going to be that too impactful you can just say right i've made all the changes i've got this up and running tomorrow you'll go and do a terraform plan to see what the difference is of what you actually did and then compute it back into the the config um for terraform right so you know it's also a self you know it's a way to self-document as well um as you go through you can't do that all the time i i, I usually advocate don't edit the portal if you possibly can yeah. right but um but you know it's all it is all unlocked you can you know uh, just go and edit it okay so pricing so we've talked about cloud the uh, terraform cloud for the, the state management things like that and there's some other services um, but is the CLI, you know, how much does that cost to use? Costs absolutely nothing to use. What, what do you mean? What, what, how can, how can it be free? I know. It's like they're, they're good guys. So, so business model of uh, ter- well, HashiCorp um, have got a family of different products. And what they're really selling is, you know, their Terraform, I'll call it their managed service, Terraform Cloud. You know, that's, that's what they want you to adopt, right? And I don't think they've personally made it complicated you know, in order to sell you that, because I, I think there's some core principles of infrastructure of code of, that they're actually helping you with, you know, helping you to solve. Um, so, so, you know, um, that, that's where the, the money is for them. Um, and we, we don't really use that service because we don't resell it. And we also don't have control of it, if, if that makes sense. So we do like to keep things a little bit in house because we've also got the the DevOps and management experience in-house to be able to do it ourselves, right? So if I, if I was coming at it new and I was a new organization, I would maybe think about looking at Terraform Cloud because it can solve, it can get you up to speed very quickly if you don't have people in-house that can, that can um, that, you know, maybe you're, you're retraining some of your staff to, to use it and maybe it's not fair to, you know, lump them with all of that to learn to start off with, if, if that makes sense. Okay, so what what other products are out there? You know, we've talked about Terraform. What else is out there that can do a similar thing? I think from an, a cloud perspective, and I'm just talking cloud because, you know, this is the Azure podcast, right? Um, 
I think the 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 other main main way to do it, and we've briefly talked about this, is the actual cloud providers themselves. You know, that's what I would be looking at, and that's what we've done for a long time, isn't it? You know, ARM templates, you know, and new bicep. You know, like it's it's the way that it's done in our world, right? Um, so, but what this can give you is it does give you that extra level of collaboration and state management, which those other tools don't particularly give you or they're complicated to to do. Um, and also it is completely cross-platform. So you can skill in one thing and it doesn't really, it does matter, but it doesn't really matter what cloud provider it is because you're, you know, if your client decides they don't want to use storage accounts and they want to use S3 buckets for some weird reason, who knows, right? But like, you know, let's say they had all of their infrastructure. I'm not saying that S3 buckets aren't, you know, worth using. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. I meant it like, you know, in the context of their application, you know, let's say they had a, you know, part of their application which required an S3 bucket, you know, like, and you can just add it in and have another resource in your, you know, in your dependency tree. You know, so because it might be that one of their modules requires S3 buckets. So, it, you know, it does give you that flexibility um, when those requirements come in. Okay, cool. So we've hit 45 minutes, Sam. We've. Okay, we've, that's it. Our time is up. Yeah, sit right. See you no. right. um, <laughs> Okay, so I apologize a... if I missed anything. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so let's do, uh, let's do some reflection about what we talked about. So, you know, infrastructure's code. You know, is a way of controlling um, your infrastructure um, and also, you know, deploying it um, rapidly um, and making changes and, you know, helps with potentially disaster recovery, things like that. Yeah, that's um, correct. Where we're able to do, um, you know, in effect, looping to help, you know, expand, you know, or replicate um, resource Within an environment, if needed, um, to expand and you know contract that that environment, you know, within you know, within minutes, within seconds, rather than it being done manually. Yeah. Um, it can. It works in the main cloud providers, so it's you know it's cross-platform, um, and I guess it depends on if there's a module for other services, like maybe Azure AD things like that. Then you can do some configuration in there. Um, but you know, in general, you know, it's pretty much any resource within a cloud environment um, may take a while for maybe some preview stuff to turn up in it, but probably are, are quite on the ball of getting it into their into their solution. Um, and as you kind of said, you know, it is really an, an industry leader, you know, because it's multi you know, multi cloud cross platform, um, and the kind of things that we can only see is the actual providers giving you know infrastructures code. And deployment processes, um, yeah, specifically for their clouds, kind of thing. Does yeah, that kind exactly. of sum it up a little bit? Is there anything I yeah. missed? Yeah, I think just to touch on your point, a couple of points there. When we're talking about different providers providing different things, so in Azure, there's Azure Resource Manager for resources in Azure, and there is Azure AD, so you can do group provisioning, role provisioning, all of that uh, good jazz and things like that. Um, so there's different elements to each of those cloud providers as well, which is important because it, it does cover a lot. And you were just talking about like um, private preview to GA and how that works and things like that. There are definitely some gaps in Terraform 
Uh, Terraform does allow you to deploy ARM templates as well. So you can kind of fill any gaps. You can kind of manually fill any gaps, even with Terraform as well. Um, so there's that. And yeah, so I do have good confidence that the velocity at which they work at releasing, you know, um, uh, connectors and configuration for uh, things, it, it's very close to, you know, when things go GA. You know, if you're in, if you're in, if you're in public or private freeview, then you're probably going to be doing things manually because you're also probably learning those technologies. You're maybe doing, you know, beta deployments with customers. You might be, you know, doing internal projects and things like that. That is where you get your domain knowledge and all of that sort of stuff. And then when you come round, once it goes GA, you know, because obviously nobody uses anything that's in public preview and production, do they, Alan? Right. So, so when it goes GA, that's the time to build your Terraform and quotes do things properly if that makes sense <laughs> from my perspective so yeah um yeah no but that's that's great i think you've um you've absorbed and uh, i mean you've worked in and around it with me anyway haven't you but um hopefully um that's given you a good insight into yeah to working help. with you with it and yeah maybe directing you what i needed it maybe <laughs> <laughs> well, that's well sometimes that's what i feel like uh, <laughs> we mentioned earlier that we were doing avd and al's got loads of really good avd knowledge and i'm just sitting there like a puppet typing into the code <laughs> whilst he's going can you change this could you change that and i'm like yep 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 i could do that not a problem you know so th that's you know from a pair programming i call it pair program pair, you know uh, a paired work you know uh, you know somebody that's terraform can extract that information out of like you know a subject matter uh, subject matter experts head and you know deploy it as infrastructure right which i think is um really powerful as well we can see that happening the collaboration that we do day to day right yeah okay right so we have gone way past time so <laughs> i'll i'll get through these bits um so to let you uh guys know um we have um We've made a plan now for all of our episodes going forward. And so we're sort of going to forward shame ourselves into making sure we record <laughs> and things. So I'm going to just tease the next um, episode. We're going to be talking about modern device management. Alan is going to be the subject matter expert. And we are going to be going into topics such as, Alan, give us the five second high level spiel on modern uh, device management. Uh, you know, uh, multi, multi device management, securing them, you know, simplifying um, your. Uh, deployment i guess onboarding of you know new devices things like that okay great um yeah so and if you've enjoyed this episode um please do uh, consider subscribing if you'd like to listen to more of this sort of content in the future uh, we have loads of topics that we'd like to cover going forward and your listens and your support is what will continue to fuel the podcast going forward so thank you everybody to, uh, that's listening and to that's subscribed so far yeah thank you and um we've we've managed to get some uh the ability to do uh, to get your feedback so um you know if you enjoyed this episode or you disagree with us or we've missed probably something that's going to happen quite a lot yeah, yeah it's probably gonna miss something out or we haven't got time to do it um yeah feel free to you know in in the um show notes there is a link to a form where you can um put some feedback in and then we you know we'll capture it and we can you know potentially reply back or we can talk about it in you know, the next episode or something like that. Yeah, and we've already had feedback from other uh, listeners. So thank you ever so much uh, for the people that have submitted feedback so far. It's great to capture your feedback and especially for, you know, uh, new topic ideas, new episodes and things like that. It's really good to get your feedback. So if there's anything you want to hear from us, you know, please do let us know. Right, we've gone way over time. So thank you everybody for living. Uh, uh, thank you ever, ever so much for everybody for listening and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Cheers.
Yep. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.